At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with landscape and nature photographer Simi Rugger. Simi takes very dynamic photographs of nature. If you look through his work, you'll be amazed by the way that he approaches nature, and he has a very interesting philosophy as a photographer as well. We talk about his beginnings, his background that has nothing to do with photography, and much more. Please enjoy. We have an amazing community at photographycourse.net where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, join photography contests, and much more. In our community, you'll also find a 52-week project that will provide you with weekly educational videos and challenges to help you improve your skills on a regular basis. This is an amazing opportunity for you to not only enhance your skills, but also grow your network and have a wholesome experience as a photographer. We're so inspired by the amazing photographs that our members post every day. When you join our community, you'll be able to make new friends and share your progress with a passionate group of people. None of this would be possible without our members' support, so we're very grateful. In order to keep things running, we're offering exclusive membership plans that will give you access to every part of our community and our premium courses. Use the discount code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD to get 50% off your first year as a member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join and use the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD without any spaces to claim your discount. Hi, Simi. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Oh, well, my name is Simi Reger, and I am a landscape and nature photographer from Connecticut. I mainly shoot the Connecticut and greater New England area. Anything within three states is, is within my target range at the moment. I mostly shoot smaller scenes. I shoot local and photography is, is not my full-time job. And, um, I'd also like to, uh, before we get started is to thank you for the, op 
opportunity to sit down and chat. Really appreciate it. Wonderful introduction. And I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today, because as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm a big fan of your work. I stumbled upon your work on Flickr. I think one of your images were in the explore section of the website, and it was a photograph that stood out to me, and I decided to take a look at your whole profile, and I was completely blown away, and it's just so amazing what you can do locally, because I think a lot of photographers think that they need to travel very far to find beautiful locations, but in reality, I think it's possible to find wonderful, visually appealing places in local areas, no matter where you live, so thank you for sharing your perspective with the photography world. I think it's very valuable and very educational. I'm very excited to speak with you about your journey. And let's start with introductions. So I know that when you first got started, you basically had to shoot at a wedding, right? And you had no experience with using a camera. What was that like? <laughs> it, it, was, it was fun and nerve-wracking at the same time. It was very new for me because before that, I never really took photography seriously at all. I, I've always had some sort of camera, but not not anything that I took serious photographs with. And then my um, my wife's cousin, who was a photographer in the Navy, she had come up for my wife's sister's wedding, and I guess she was going to use me as a as a second shooter, uh, just to shoot some extra shots and I'm sure she used none of those shots that I took but that was my first introduction to a professional grade camera and from there I was uh, more curious to know more about the art of photography and taking pictures so it kind of opened my eyes from going from just taking snapshots to wanting to be more serious about it. It's such an interesting situation that you found yourself in because I think some people can relate to that where they're suddenly in a situation where they're not familiar with the environment, they don't have the necessary experience to take good photographs, and they're scared and very nervous. What advice would you give to beginners in photography who find themselves in situations like that? Uh, number one, take a deep breath <laughs> and uh, concentrate on on whatever your subject happens to be and trying your best to highlight that subject in the, in the best way possible. I know for, it, I'm in a local camera club and the, the most difficult thing for most of the, the new members is dealing with their camera and learning how to use it. They hear a lot of advice about, you know, shooting in raw and shooting in manual. It can be a little daunting for, for everyone. Usually my advice to very new members is to just put their, their camera into automatic or P mode and just concentrate on the basics of photography and getting the shot that way and let the camera do most of the work. And then after you get more comfortable learning the different guidelines and rules of photography and, and you're more comfortable taking a shot, then you can learn your camera and that way the camera's not a hindrance to you getting even better. That's great advice. I've never thought of it from that point of view because you're right. If you are in a wedding, let's say, and you have to take photos and you are not too familiar with your camera, 
you're not going to be able to focus on your subject properly because you'll be so obsessed with getting the right settings, which I think is normal, but it can really get in the way. It can really be a hindrance, as you said. So, yeah, that's wonderful advice. I mean, I've seen it where it makes the new new people like stop wanting to take pictures. It's so frustrating sometimes. Definitely. Yeah. Sometimes when I get into new hobbies that are not related to photography, I'm sometimes put off by all the rules that I see online. So I try to be a bit ignorant at the beginning and just enjoy it for what it is. And then once I get more comfortable with the process, then I start to familiarize myself with the rules. I think that can be very helpful for sure. You said in your interview with Black female landscape photographers that when you started to pursue photography a little more seriously, you read your entire camera manual to understand all of its features, which I thought was very, very impressive. And I think that's pure dedication. What was the most useful information you learned during that time? I figured out what was important that I could use and what wasn't and I could ignore and and, and use whatever settings that were relevant to what I was shooting, I'd put them in a quick menu and then uh, I'd have them at, at my fingertips. The basic thing that I, that I got out of it was that I was more comfortable with the settings and being able to navigate around the, 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 the camera without fiddling around and, and wasting time. A lot of the controls in the camera are for people who shoot JPEG and so I was, I was already on that mission to shoot, shooting raw and shooting manual. So a lot of the stuff didn't pertain to me in the, in the menu system, but it, it worked out. That's great. And how long did it take you to go through the whole manual? Not, not long at all. My current job, I'm a system engineer in the IT space. So when I, when I first got into computers, that's basically what I did. I, all I had was, a, was an old computer with an actual floppy disk that, that was actually floppy. And uh, <laughs> it, it had a, this, you know, the MS-DOS operating system on it. And there, was a, there were the MS-DOS commands or that I had no idea what they were. And I just went through each one and figured out what they were, what they did. Were they important? Were they not important? And so that's, that's how I teach myself everything, basically. Okay, so because of your professional background, you're more used to going through that whole trial and error process and getting used to a new system, getting used to new equipment. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, in the same interview with Black female landscape photographers, you said that it's important to find a subject that sparks your interest and to show that subject in the best light. What tips would you give for photographing subjects in the best light? Well, that's a good question kind of changes for me. When I first began landscape photography, I was all about getting the, the hero shot or the going to the epic location. Now it's more about I just kind of enjoy the moment while I'm, while I'm out in nature. I'm not really looking for anything in particular. I'm just being open to what's, what's being presented in front of me. And then I see a lot better now, I think. And I see things that, that you know, I don't get focused or tunnel vision on, on one particular subject. That's another thing that's kind of changed in my landscape, landscape photography is that um, I don't plan as much as I used to anymore. I will just go to a spot 
I know I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to take some pictures, but I'm open to whatever's there when I get there. And sometimes it's the, the way the light shines on something that will interest me. Sometimes it's interesting shapes or relationships between objects. I'm not, I'm not sure what else that sparks my interest, but I know it when I see it. I mean, it's almost as if the, the things that I take pictures of basically call out to me. <laughs> I love that. That makes so much sense because you have so much experience as a photographer now and you have this intuition. And that intuition helps you find certain scenes that speak to you personally, given your style and your preferences. I think that's such a beautiful thing that photographers can develop with time and experience. And it's something that you mentioned in that interview that I referenced earlier. And you were saying that it's just something that you get into. It's a flow for you and you enjoy your photo shoots more. And I imagine back when you were trying to get those hero shots, when you, when you had that tunnel vision, that was more stressful for you as a photographer, right? Very stressful. The one thing I noticed is that I'm not really disappointed anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, I know it's um, sometimes as landscape photographers, we can we get an ideal in our mind and we kind of go there. And when that idea doesn't come exactly how we pictured it in our mind, we get a little frustrated. When I go out into nature, I kind of see myself as a, as a guest when I go out. It's like me showing up at your house unannounced, expecting you to, to make me a uh, filet mignon, medium rare. And then I get a bowl of oatmeal, I'm, I'm upset. So I, I try to, I said that would be kind of wrong. I mean, if I showed up at your house unannounced, I would, I would be happy if you gave me a glass of water. <laughs> that is the most interesting metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. And I like that approach. And I think it's a state of mind that many photographers want to reach that level of no disappointment. Disappointment is non-existent. You're just making the most of the situation. You're not expecting much from it. If there are photographers who are still struggling with tunnel vision and with wanting to get the perfect shot every time, what advice would you give to them? What should they do to slow down and to not be disappointed like you? I would probably suggest, first of all, just going to a place either without your camera and just making the pictures in your mind and trying to see things in your headspace first. Just enjoying the moment. And if you do that enough times, I think, I think eventually you will slow down and you will start to see better. I also notice, even though I don't, I mean, today's cameras are so good. You, you almost don't need a tripod for anything anymore. But I still carry one. You know, after I get the, the scene or the, the, the subject that, the, that interests me, I'll try to see it at whatever angle I can without the tripod and, and think about it. And then I'll, I'll get out the tripod once I think about, about I'm going to make this particular image. And then I'll frame it. And then I'll contemplate. Why am I taking this shot before I actually take the shot? Almost, almost like second guessing myself, but in, a, but in a constructive way. Very mindful. I like that. And it makes sense that you don't feel stressed or disappointed during shoots like that because you're giving yourself time 
to improve, to consider the scene. And I think that helps you connect with nature better, right? I think landscape photographers have this amazing opportunity to see nature in their everyday lives. And when you just want to shoot, 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 that might take the joy out of being in nature in the first place. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure when the transition happened for me, but the camera reintroduced me into nature. But now that I'm, I've been going out into nature regular, at a regular pace, the photography is secondary now. It's, it's a bonus. I think that's the best approach. Of course, everyone has their own best approach. But in my opinion, it's a really healthy approach because, as I said earlier, you're, you're not disappointed. And you're enjoying nature first, and it's difficult to not enjoy nature. So once you have that and then you have photography as a bonus, yeah, it's a very wholesome experience. At what point did you decide to start slowing down? Was there a specific shoot that really stressed you out that made you reconsider the way that you approach your photo shoots? <sighs> I'm trying to, like I said, I, I'm not sure when it was. I remember there was a time when my mother was in hospice care and I hadn't shot regularly in, in quite a bit of time while she was in hospice care. And she always loved seeing my photographs when I came home with them. And I remember she she said, if you want to go out and, you know, just shoot and you don't have to come here every day, just go out there. And I started to go out and I started to just just go out and reintroduce myself to, to going out. But I didn't I didn't I didn't really take a lot of a lot of pictures, but I started to. Exercise my mind again, and I think maybe that's when. I started just to just enjoy the moments as opposed to trying to get the get the picture all the time. And there's nothing I mean, I have nothing against that. There's a lot of people who get enjoyment out of getting their little bucket list shots, having a goal and planning. For me, that just wound up being more more disappointing more times than not, because I always can come up with something more more dramatic in my in my head than what will happen at any given time because nature is going to do what nature is going to do when she does it. That's right. Yeah. I'm the same way as you, I would say, because I have a very big imagination and sometimes it's way too big for my current skills and I get disappointed a lot and I don't enjoy the moment. And I just want to take those photos that look good, that will look good on social media. And I get all caught up in that whole concept. But what has helped me <laughs> what has helped me is just slowing down, which is really difficult to do if you're a very impatient person, but I'm learning. And just trying to enjoy the process of taking photos again, which is something I loved when I first got into photography. It's interesting how we sometimes have to relearn things that we used to achieve effortlessly. Our online photography community is a place where you can grow your skills and learn something new every single day. If you want to join conversations like this one and connect with like-minded photographers from across the world, you're in the perfect place. We have a special discount code for our podcast listeners. We're offering 50% off your first year as an extraordinary or limitless member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code greatbigphotographyworld. Your photo culling process is interesting because you don't look at your photos right away. Why do you usually wait a few days before viewing your images? Well, I will look at them and I might make some minor color corrections, 
but I usually like to just let them sit. And a lot of times it's it's out of necessity because I do I do go out quite often, so I have a backlog of images to go through. So sometimes it's just a, a built in <laughs> a, a built in time frame that I have no control over. But even when the slow periods, like during the winter time, when it's when it's harder to get out, I will actually do some basic edits and kind of know. All right, I think I know what I, I want to do with these set of images and with this other set of images and then i'll come back a couple days later and i see if i still have the same emotion the same feelings that i had when i took the picture and if i did i will go ahead and proceed to to edit it with that same emotion uh sometimes i'll come back to a scene and i'll see something in it which will make me want to edit it a different way than what I actually felt at the time. Because now I'm feeling something different. That's fascinating. So you rely a lot on your emotions to edit your images. I think that's great because that makes it more enjoyable for you. Once you have an emotion that you want to express or an emotion that you spotted in the photograph itself, then you have that as the basis of your editing and it makes things less difficult because at least you have some kind of direction, right? Correct, yep. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialise in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. I've, I've noticed that that would probably be the one thing that sometimes I will backslide and instead of relying on my emotions for, for certain things, I will go back to default technical type stuff. And I try not to do that with photography. I try to be more rely more on my emotions when I take my pictures and when I edit them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you're a professional background, in your profession, you have to be very technical. And in photography, you allow yourself to be more emotional. That's a difficult balance to have. And I think it's healthy as well, because at work, you have this one world and in photography, it's a different world. So both worlds allow you to express different parts of yourself and to relax and take a break from one of the things that makes sense. That's what I find as I get older. And it works out for me. I know, it sounds wonderful. And what is your editing process like once you feel that you've found a certain emotion in a photograph? What do you usually do during the editing process? Lightroom's gotten so much better now that the I mostly stay in Lightroom unless I have to do some more 
heavy edits where I have to like either blend different exposures if I'm shooting into the sun. But normally, I start out with the with the color. I get the color right and the feel, and then after I get that done, then I start to accentuate the highlights, the shadows, dodging and burning, so that I get uh, more three dimensionality out of my photograph. I will proceed to go to the the next thing of adding contrast or taking away contrast and then um then i walk away again for a few hours or a day uh, to let my eyes reset and then i come back and see if you know all especially the color correction stuff that i did if it was if it was correct <laughs> if i still feel the same way and then um then I do finishing touches, making sure that little specks are out and there's nothing distracting in the image. And then it's, it's pretty much done after that. I think a lot of photographers joke about the fact that the more they look at their images, the uglier they get. So it is good to take breaks from a photo because when you go back to it, it'll look normal and you won't think negatively about it if you are an overthinker as a photographer. But that's so much patience. I don't think I have that patience. I'm not sure if any of the listeners can relate, but I am so impatient during the editing process. I want to get those photos out right away. <laughs> but I, I have a lot to learn from you. I think it's much more interesting and dynamic when you give yourself that space to distance yourself from your images. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's I've, I've noticed that anytime, at least early on, when I did edits, it would be like, you know, quick and dirty and it's done. And then you see it a few days later and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? And then <laughs> go back and you have to re-edit again. And then you do that two or three times. And then all of a sudden you're like, what was I feeling when I did when I first started out doing this? So <laughs> everything for me seems to be slowing down, just enjoying the process, enjoying the moment. For me, I get better results. Right. I think it's all about enjoying the process of photography from taking the pictures themselves to editing them. And if you prolong that process based on your emotions, then it can make it even more interesting for you as an artist. I think for me, the biggest issue is wanting to share my work immediately. I think if I overcome that obstacle, I'll be able to enjoy editing and taking photos more because I won't be rushing to share my photos immediately what is your relationship with social media like because i know you're active on Flickr, but i'm not sure about any other social media platforms i dislike it <laughs> <laughs> but luckily i don't this is not my bread and butter so i don't have to uh, use it to help make a living thank thank goodness i, I first started out on Flickr, and um Flickr was a great community at one time you know a lot of a lot of positive feedback, a lot of back and forth between photographers. I still have quite a few good friends I interact with on Flickr, but it's, it's just not what it used to be anymore. I used to be on a lot of platforms, but it's a time suck. It's a, <laughs> it's like a rabbit hole that you, next thing you know, you're, you're in there more than you are in real life. So I'm, I'm still on, I'm on Instagram, but I post maybe once a week. I use Vero because... There's no algorithms, at least not, not right now, and there's not a lot of advertising. 
So I enjoy that one there. And I, I post whenever I have pictures to post. So it could be daily, it could be weekly. But uh, Instagram, it's just, I just get ads and recommendations and then people with your DMs that are just crazy. So I, I, I've been dealing less and less with that. And I, I only keep it because it's, I, I'm not on Facebook anymore. And it's the only one place where somebody can actually get in touch with me outside because nobody uses a phone anymore. So that's the only way that I can be messaged is through Instagram. So I'm just keeping it for that, basically. But I, I still post once a week there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great that there are different platforms out there for different needs. Speaking of platforms, what is Vero? Is it just for photographers? Uh, yeah, it's uh, from what I can tell. It's, it, you can post uh, photographs, video. I really like the layout and the format of it. You can see the images full screen. It's not in the the Instagram aspect ratio. That is the one thing, though, because the way that I use Instagram, sorry to go off on a tangent, I do grid posts on Instagram, where it spans three cells across. You know, one large image broken up into three. And so that if I want to keep that look... It forces me to 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 have to post three images to Instagram it when I do post at one time to keep that format. So it's nice and neat. And so when I shoot now, I don't I don't just shoot for like one shot or one composition. I'm I'm usually going out and I'm telling a story with several several photographs to to tell a story of the location that where I'm at. So that's the one good thing that it's helped me with. So yay, Instagram. Yay, Instagram. That's so interesting. It's, uh, we usually don't think of social media platforms themselves as inspiration for photography. But it's interesting <laughs> that the format itself inspired you. That's cool. It's good that you were able to get some kind of you know, positive thing from it. <laughs> Even though you are not you know, the biggest fan of Instagram. I am not on Instagram anymore either. But yeah, as I said earlier, it's it's wonderful that there are social media platforms, different communities online and offline. You mentioned earlier that you were part of a photo club. What is that like? I think meeting people in person can be much more interesting than just chatting to people online. Oh, it is. It's uh, it's very interesting. It's uh, you meet all sorts of different photographers at different levels, and it's just a, a social aspect that you don't really get into online. And it's it's neat because we have a, a small group of people that you know we get together and we we critique each other's work outside of the outside of the camera club. For me, I don't compete much anymore, and I usually do the they have a monthly contests or competitions for the members, and I do the 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 voice for them while they uh, judge each image. And we've been doing that online for since COVID. And hopefully it looks like this year, well, the next season, they'll start doing in-person meetings once again, which is exciting for everyone. Because there's a lot of people who haven't seen each other in quite a while. Yeah, I think photography clubs, when you meet people, it's like attending a workshop or you can maybe go on a hike together if it's possible. And being in yeah. that group setting, yeah, it can be very eye-opening and educational. Uh, on the flip side of that, they can also be detrimental, I think. Oh, how so? I, 
Well, when, especially if you if you compete in the in the in the competitions, you'll get um, judges who will judge each image, and, and they see an image on the screen, and then they judge it by the rules rules doing air quotations of photography where you know rule of thirds is it uh, is it centered is the subject centered is it so they don't really get a chance to, to to ask the person you know why they created the image they're just going on the arbitrary rule set so a lot of people after a while in competition they will the images seem similar if that makes sense Mm-hmm. Because if they're all going by a set of rules and to follow in order to do better in the competition. So a lot of times, a lot of images will be in way and it, and it prevents people from experimenting or, or trying new things or different compositions because they won't they won't score well. <laughs> yeah, that makes so it's a double edged sword. Definitely, that makes so much sense, and I think. The other pros and cons to everything. Being online in a community has so many benefits. Being offline in a photography club has many benefits, but obviously both have cons as well. And it makes sense, yeah, that following the rules and listening to someone who has more experience than you, telling you to do this and that, having a mentor is great in my opinion. But then if that mentor doesn't give you maybe creative freedom or just keeps following the same rules... You, your work might end up looking too similar to another photographer's work. So, yeah, creative freedom is very important, and it's very important to break the rules. I do not like following photography rules, even though I respect them. <laughs> Just my own personal preference. Yeah, I can see the limitations there for sure. I call them guidelines as opposed to rules. Yes, I think that's a Helpful nice hints. Word, right? <laughs> much nicer word guidelines it's just there to guide you you don't need to follow all the time if you need something during the shoot and you're not sure then the guidelines might help you yeah that's a more diplomatic way to approach everything i think but speaking of rules i you have such unique landscape photos and it's clear that you have your own way of approaching nature and as you mentioned earlier you try to assess a scene and see what it's saying to you what compositional tips would you give to landscape photographers? And you don't need to mention any guidelines if you don't want to. Uh, for me, I make use of like leading lines, geometric shapes in my images, uh, play an important part, and usually relationships between objects. Sometimes, if I have multiple subjects, there's a there's a particular relationship with those, and sometimes that will follow a geometric pattern or shape. Repeating patterns are always good. Layers. And sometimes imbalance with a purpose is good as well. But uh, most of my image, I try to try to achieve a balance of, of the elements within, within the image. And whether they fall into a particular rule or follow any of the things, generally they probably do, but that's not what I'm thinking about when I'm doing the final image. Usually I'm, I'm looking at the balance of objects within the frame. Mm-hmm. So it's more about feeling again, and being able to balance that geometry and shapes with the emotion that the scene is trying to express. So interesting. I don't know much about landscape photography, so I'm always very fascinated by the process. 
I'm always very curious about what it takes to take a good landscape photo. So this is all very helpful information for me. Thank you for sharing. I think the easiest place to start is probably just doing a basic seascape mm. because it's um, you have a horizon line, you have the sky, and then you have the water. Those are your three basic elements. You can go from there and add in foreground elements. You can do a, something where there's a relationship between the clouds and the foreground. It's very simple. You can also, the next step would probably be, be something like uh, the classic lone tree or single object. And I usually treat those as if um, those, those were models, as if I'm doing a model shoot. And then I think the most difficult one is, is forest photography, because there's a lot of chaos. You have to see the order within the chaos. Because here, there are so many forests. We don't have any, we don't have that many seascapes. It's mostly forests. I tried taking photos in a forest once, and I was so overwhelmed because it's just trees and trees and trees, and I used a very narrow aperture. And I thought, how do landscape photographers do this? I can't. <laughs> the thing that will help you most would be to, to go when the conditions are very foggy. Because that will obscure a lot of the chaos in the background. So now you can you can kind of concentrate on an individual or set of individual trees and the rest won't be, the chaos won't be there as much. Yeah, that makes sense. Being able to balance that, again, balance is important. I have a very rookie question. I'm sure the listeners are going to laugh at me. You will as well. But when I take landscape photos, the thing that bothers me the most is aperture. I don't know what aperture to use because some people say F16 or some kind of sweet spot which I'm not familiar with at all. What do you use? Well, it depends on each lens. And again, that's my, my technical side will be coming out because every time I get a lens, I will, I will take that lens and I will shoot it wide open all the way to its smallest aperture and then see where, the, where it's the sharpest compared to all the other f-stops. And where that is, is that sweet spot of that lens. So for most of my lenses, it's around f11. Between f8 and f11 is the uh, is the sharpest. So I so you'll get the most depth of field from front to back of in focus items if I shoot at f11 without getting diffraction, as they call it. Even though you do get some softness, but it's it's inconsequential when you're sharing stuff online. I wouldn't even worry about diffraction. And then there's times when I shoot landscapes where I actually shoot at a very shallow depth of field because I only want to concentrate on, that's another thing with the forest one that help you out, is just concentrate on the tree in front of me and everything else kind of falls off. So it depends. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. I think I'm just overthinking it because I have experience in other genres, so I expect myself to have experience in landscape photography when I don't. And so I tend to get overwhelmed. Maybe some beginners can relate to this where they feel overwhelmed and you just have to take some it one step can, at a time. Some of it can translate. What what is your what is your speciality? Portrait photography. Portrait photography. 
So one-on-one type stuff, right? Yeah, but I often take self-portraits as well. So next time you're in the forest, treat that tree like you would a model. And then apply the same principles you would if you had a model standing in a crowded scene. How would you isolate that particular person? Yeah, I would use a wide aperture. And yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And as you said, maybe shooting in different weather conditions when it's foggy to separate the subject from the background. Mm -hmm. Experiment with different angles, maybe very low angle. Yeah. There you go. Oh, wow. (laughs) Thank you. Well, hopefully this will help the listeners as well. Anyone who's already has experience in one genre wants to go to another one and improve there. As you said, that can translate. Very cool. Thank you. I have a random question. On your website, you have a blog called The Sleepy Photographer. What was the inspiration behind that name? <laughs> but when I first started shooting, going for the, for the hero shot, I have to get up first thing in the morning, 3 a.m., and then you go and sh- shoot a sunrise. So, and then sometimes you'd be all day out shooting. So I didn't get much sleep. The sleepy part of it is still is still relevant, especially late spring into early fall, because you have so much daylight to work with. My hours at my job are flexible, but usually I can go before work. I can go shooting a few hours. And then, of course, after I'm done working, it's still light out, so I can go afterwards as well. So... That was the inspiration because I was always getting up early and I was very sleepy when I did it. But now I'm used to it, so. Okay, that makes sense. That's what I assumed when I read the title. And I think it's very creative. Instead of just calling it a blog, it's the Sleepy Photographer blog. (laughs) I have one more question for you, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I think in the short term... I would like to be able to, I, I know it's it's a lot of people always say that there's nothing to shoot in your own, in your own area, but I, I challenge people and hopefully my images inspire people to get out and just go into their local areas and, and shoot and spend time in it. And uh, I guarantee you, you'll find, you'll find beauty wherever, wherever you happen to be, even if it's the most mundane place you think it is. I also hope that that it inspires people of color to get out and take advantage of landscape photography. Uh, there's not a lot of representation that I see. Luckily, I, I met I met Angela, a black female a photographer website, and so now I'm in contact with a with a lot more people of color who actually shoot landscapes. We seem to do event photography and weddings and sports, but landscape is a, a, the representation is lacking. The funny, funny thing is, is that me saying that, I, I recall a few months ago, I was, I was out in the woods, the remote woods, shooting waterfall, and I was there before day in the morning. So nobody was there, at least nobody that I knew of. And then uh, I come around the corner to work my way down the, the creek. 
and there's a there's a there's a guy there is another african-american photographer taking waterfall pictures just randomly met in the woods david david hendley i have to contact him we we went shooting out together again a few weeks later intending to go meet up with him again but uh yeah i just hope the work inspires others to get out and shoot what a lovely story meeting photographers in the wild <laughs> and i like your goals as well i i'm confident that you're doing a lot of positive things in the photography community just by sharing your work because i stumbled upon your work randomly and i was so inspired by it i'm, I'm sure that many others are as well and it's so great to see you getting more attention online as well and I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I learned so much about landscape photography thanks to you. And I wish you the absolute best with your journey. Thank you. Again, I, I appreciate that you found me interesting at all. <laughs> but thank you for your time. And thank you for all the interesting questions. Really made me think, had to self-analyze, which is uh, difficult for me to do sometimes. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate your time. It was great talking with you. Likewise. Thank you. I really liked Simi's analogy about visiting someone's home unannounced and expecting a full course meal. I think when we go into nature, we sometimes expect a lot. And this applies to every genre, I think. Sometimes during my shoots as well, I expect the very best of the best. And I often feel disappointed and it takes the joy out of my photographs. So I think if you often feel stressed when you go and shoot, then it might help a lot to just slow down. I know it's easier said than done, but if Simi could do it, then I'm sure that you can as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope that you learned something new. And if you have any questions for Simi, or if you just have any thoughts you'd like to share in our episodes, make sure to join our online photography community. There's a link to it in the description. See you next week. Our photography community wouldn't be what it is without its amazing members. We're working on many exciting projects and have lots of great perks waiting to be discovered by you. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive all kinds of perks. If you join as an extraordinary member, you'll get an ad-free experience, access to every subforum, access to our 52-week project, the ability to connect with all of our members, and more. As a Limitless member, you'll get all of the perks that I just mentioned and access to all of our premium courses and Lightroom presets. This is the perfect opportunity for anybody who wants to elevate their skills without paying thousands of dollars for courses. We're sure that you'll love being a part of our community if you're a fan of this podcast. In addition to meeting new people, you'll learn something new about photography every day, which will help you improve quickly. It's also much more fun to take photographs when you have a group of amazing photographers supporting you. Go to photographycourse.net to find out more and to get 50% off your first year as a member. We can't wait to see you in our community. And again, just as a reminder, go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD. We can't wait to see you there. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.